0: Before I jump in the sermons, I just I, as we're singing that last song, I just there was one of the lines that just um, yeah, God just used a moment to just sort of grab on and give me I suppose a new experience of the song. And there was that um, it talked about God mending our hearts, and and the, the picture I got because I was sort of thinking that. Like, God can snap his fingers and we're all healed. He, he can do that. There's no there's no drama for God. Like, he created the world, earth in seven days. So he's the best builder in the whole universe. He can do it real quickly. Six days, actually, so not even seven. Um, but mending, it's a very precise, focused thing. Like, it's, if you mend um, some pants, you sort of focus on that area and you repair it so it comes back to life. It's usable again. If you've got a child that comes to you and, and they've grazed their knee, you will take time to, to mend it and clean it and put a bandage on it. It's, it's a really focused thing. And, and yeah, it's just got this picture of God. He just, he takes time to take that area of that life, of life that you are hurting in. And whether he uses a spiritual needle or spiritual band-aids, he takes time and focuses on you and your hurt and he mends it and i uh, just I was just really touched by that idea that god he just he takes time to mend things in my life, so that was just, that's not the sermon i just wanted to I just wanted to t- give you a, just a word that God had just given me that this morning but um i want to start off my sermon by using a bit of an embarrassing story um about me it's like i'd I'd love it to be about someone else, but it's gonna be about me um I don't know how old I was. It was before I was in grade four because we were living um, on a little uh, property um, out near Miles, between Miles and Chinchilla, and so, yeah, I would have been maybe eight years old, and the bedroom, I remember the bedroom really clearly. We had a carpet, uh, still the best carpet I've had to this day. It was a carpet that had roads on it and stuff like that, so all you had to do was get the cars out and you could drive your cars around the bedroom. And because I had all my brothers, we had four boys in this one room, two bunk beds. And it was a really big room, so it worked out really well. And um, um, so I was on the top bunk being one of the older two two boys in the room. And I remember real clearly one night, um, I had to get up and go to the toilet. And I don't know what happened. Now, before you get anywhere, I didn't wear my pants, okay? don't Don't go there. But... I got out of bed and I couldn't find the door. I got turned around in the dark and I thought I'd hopped out of the left side of the bed and I had to walk around the bed, past the other bed and to the door. And I, I don't know how long I spent doing it, but I could not find my way from where I thought I was to the door and go to the toilet. I was fortunately able to find my way back to bed. So I basically went back to bed and went, Hopefully I can hold it for the rest of the night. Like that's basically what happened. And I got lost in a bedroom in the middle of the night, a bedroom that I was very familiar with. Um, Now what happens then when you are living life and you come to a point where you're not even familiar with it or maybe the opposition that's facing you with is so big you go, I have no idea what to do. I don't know whether you've faced times like that in your life already. You're facing times in your life right now. If if you haven't said yes to the other two, you're going to be facing them in the future. I guarantee it. There'll be times when darkness comes our way and we go, what do I do now? And it's even worse when you go to, like you may be, it might be a practical issue you're going to, and you go to them and uh, to an expert in that area and you go, what do I do? And they said, We've got to the point these days, people go, I can't actually give you an opinion because it might be legally binding and I don't want to give you a support. And so even when seeking support, sometimes we go, people won't give us the answer that we're looking for. And so today we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat. Now, imagine for a second, like asa has got a three-letter name. He goes to school. Oh, how do you spell your name? A-S-A. And then for some reason, he decided to give him a name like Jehoshaphat. Like this long. I'm going, just imagine it, at daycare, learning how to spell your name. Jehoshaphat, all the kids will be out playing, and Jehoshaphat only be halfway through writing his name. But Jehoshaphat was a good king. Um. So Alison's reading this morning introduced us to Jehoshaphat. He was the son of Asa. Asa, remember, from last week was a good king for most of his life. He did forget God towards the end of his life a bit, and and that kind of brought on struggles. But Jehoshaphat must have had enough lessons from Asa to go, Hey, I, I'm going to live and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to like live in a way like, um, um, King David did following after God. And he's the sixth king in line after David. And so he ruled for, I think it was 25 years. And, and so again, the book of Chronicles is about is Ezra teaching us lessons through the lives of the kings and lessons for the people of Judah who have returned from exile, but also lessons for us today. And so um Jehoshaphat was thirty five years old when he became king um and his story spans two major wars and a bad marriage and I'm going to talk about the bad marriage next week and and the consequences were were from a human point of view almost died almost broke a promise of God that he had made to to David and that's sort of we'll cover that next week but Today, I want to look at um, one of the battles that Jehoshaphat had to face. And, um, and we're going to sort of, if you're in, in Second Chronicles, um, I think Allison read from, um, um, chapter 17. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 20, um, and verses one and two there. And so after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, together with some of the Mennonites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. Um, people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom have come to fight against you, and they're already at Hazar Zon Tamar, which is the Engedi. Okay, so let's put a bit of um, perspective on that. So, Jehoshaphat, he's the king in Judah. Now, I think there's is there a map on the next slide, Noah. I'll we'll throw that up. So, this will give you a bit of an idea. So, so you see, that's where Jerusalem is, and the is a little bit down lower. And the Edomites, Moabites, and Ammonites were coming across the Dead Sea to attack them. And they were already south of Jerusalem. It wasn't like they've got a courier saying, oh, we hear these guys are talking about coming to fight against us. They were already on their on their doorstep. Um, and so they weren't very far away at all. And so they were, you know, so all of a sudden Jehoshaphat went from having a really good day. To a day where, like, this could be my last day. that That's, from a human point of view, that was the reality of it. You had three nations rising up against the people of um, Judah. And the question is, how would you feel if you got word that a human army, much bigger than your own, was coming to get you? What, what would you do? Uh, anyone run away to a different country going, I don't want to be king. Who else wants to be king instead of me? going you you can make those choices maybe maybe you'd form a committee let's form a committee and and talk about how we're going to conquer these guys and you spend three years in committee and by that time point in time the other nations have conquered you maybe you hide and and just pretend it's not there like these can be i suppose things that we we do in our lives when 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 these armies are coming against us and and we're struggling with that and all of a sudden we go well what what do we do well let's Let's have a look at what Jehoshaphat did. So we look in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, that is perfectly okay, justifiable. You've got three armies coming against you, and you are outnumbered. But this is what he did. He resolved to seek the Lord. So resolve means he made a hard choice. He made a commitment to, I am going to seek out God on this. I'm not. God is not my plan. A, and then I've got a few other plans. God is it. I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask God to help me. I'm going to ask God to guide me. Um, So he resolved to seek the Lord. But he went, I'm not going to do it by myself. We as a country are going to seek God. And so he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, if I proclaimed a fast even after church, I'd get grumbles. It wouldn't be grumbles. I know some of you would grumble a lot. Go on, no, and what if I, and also not any food? So you go, oh, it's not, it's fine, not getting any food. Don't need any food anyway. What about no coffee? Oh, the grumbles would. That'd be that'd be really big. And so, but Jehoshaphat said, no, we're we're going to be actively seeking after God. So we're going to fast as a nation, and we are going to see God. What a great example he's setting. He's saying we we're, we're actually going to be a people who are seeking our God, and we're going to fast to do Now, for those who don't know much about fasting. Back then, fasting was about taking time away from food to focus on God. Every time your stomach was grumbling, it was actually meant to be a reminder to seek God, to pray to God. All the time you would use to um, prepare food was time that you would dedicate to praying to seek God. All the times you would spend at meals, and again, these cultures are probably one of the great things about it, food was a central part of their culture. So they would sit down for these long periods of time as family and community and eat. And so all of a sudden, that time was dedicated to seeking God. Now we live in a world that's very fast-paced. For some of us, like we'd give up food and and like we 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 drive through the drive-through at Macca's and and we've finished it before we drive out of the uh, drive-through of Macca's. And so we might only give up five minutes. And so we may have to learn to give up other things. Like We may have to fast from, like, your phone. Some of you will have hours every week free to seek after God. Maybe it's watching TV. Maybe it's, um, like, doing other things. Maybe for some of you, you need to give up worrying. And all of a sudden, that will free up hours as well. And And so it may be different for us in the way that we fast, but Jehoshaphat, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Um, who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. And so the, the people of Judah, who were the, the, the two southern tribes, they came together in Jerusalem saying, we are intentionally choosing to seek after our God because the problem we've got is God-sized. So they're, they're making that choice. So Jehoshaphat, he did three strategic things. He resolved to seek the Lord. He, he chose, he called for a fast, and he gathered the people. And, and last week we, we saw, um, we learned of God's promise to Asa that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. And we see Jehoshaphat's response to this struggle. He's going, well, when there's a problem, we go to God. When we, we've, we've got something that's too big for us, God is the one that we will seek out. And so at the first sign of danger, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. And um, To deepen, deepen his commitment, he called for a fast And Jehoshaphat gathers the people together because there is strength in numbers. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is in our midst. But Jehoshaphat does a fourth strategic thing. And so I'm going to let you read the whole story. I'm going to pull out a bit more of it. But from verses 5 to 12, we see Jehoshaphat actually lead his people in prayer. And um, he prayed. And he begins the prayer, and I'm, again, as I was reading through this this week, I'm kind of like a bit on the on the fence on this one because basically what he'd done, he said, oh, oh he, he, he started off the prayer by reminding God of who he is. Now, do you think God needs to be reminded of who he is? And so at first I'm thinking, Jehoshaphat's praying this prayer to say, God, remember, hey, you're the great God. You're the God who supplies. You're the God who've done this. But then it clicked with me. I went, Even though he's praying to God, he's praying in front of the people. And so he's actually taking some time to remind the people as he prays to God of who God is. So all the people are out in front of him and they're fasting and and he's praying as he leads the people and he says, you have been there for all the descendants of Abraham. Um, We've done this for you and we want to follow after you, God. And then he, he presents his problem like God doesn't know. Um, oh, by the way, God, we've, we've been invaded by people that we once had mercy on. We actually showed mercy to these, these tribal groups in, in our past and they're invading us. Um, and so he goes through this prayer and the climax of Jehoshaphat's prayer is actually a really great prayer for all of us, this last line. And it, it works in so many different situations. The The line of the prayer is this, We do not know what to do, but we look to you. We do not know what to do, but we look to to you. Jehoshaphat's not even offering suggestions. God, can you do this? God, can you do this? God, can you wipe the enemy out? Can you turn them into butterflies? Can you do whatever? God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I am king of this nation and I don't know what to do but we look to you and so there is an inference there that with Jehoshaphat saying I don't know what to do but we're looking to you I know you know what to do I know you've got this in hand and so God takes some time to answer um, this prayer of Jehoshaphat and so uh, picking up in verse 14 of chapter 20 it says in the middle of the congregation the spirit of the Lord came." on Jehaziel. And in verse 15, he said, And he said, Listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That is an awesome statement because it's not saying, okay, I will help you win the battle. It's not saying, I will, I will strengthen your arms. I will make your arrows go straight. He said, "The battle's not even going to be yours altogether. It's not going to be. You don't have to worry about it. The battle is mine." Now, let's put it in a perspective. Imagine you, just to even, just imagine you're a child for a set, and there is there is a bully that is always wanting to pick on you, and and God comes up to you and says, "Hey, don't worry. The battle is mine." And God goes, take care of the bully. That would be like an awesome thing. Like, you, you, I'm seeing like the cartoons where, you like, like Wiley Cody gets dragged into something and then Wally, and there's all these like picture sounds coming out. God is just thrashing this bully. Well, that's basically what he said to the people. I'm going to take care of this. This is, and, and again, when God takes care of something, he takes care of it well. Like, he, he's not going to do a half hearted job, it's going to be complete. And And this is where we've got to think, like, when have we faced situations that are terrible or that we feel like we're all alone? And in those times, are we willing to be wholeheartedly devoted to God and let God just come in and go, hey, I don't know what to do, but we look to you and let God come in and do this? And so from this point in basically says, Tomorrow you will go up and you will see them coming and you'll find them at the end of the valley facing the wisdom of Jareel. So basically, um, this guy that the Spirit of God had come down and he gave them instructions to go, this is what you need to do, after the fact that that the, the battle is God's. Um and all of a sudden, what happens is we we start to see the 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 hope of the people. Um, sort of lift Um, in verse 17 it says you do not have to fight this battle position yourself stand still and see the salvation of the Lord he is with you Judah and Jerusalem do not be afraid or discouraged tomorrow go out and face them for the Lord is with you three armies against one they've come to the city going we don't know what to do and they go out in confidence but before they do that we see something interesting that happens for the, the rest of this passage is Jehoshaphat's response to what God has promised, what God is doing, and what God has done. In verse 18, we pick this up. And then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face on the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Now, this is before God has done anything. There's a promise in the air. But they are so certain of who God is and what God can do, they know the victory is theirs already. And so the king hops on his face. I, I'm not going to sort of try and claim some authority. I'm not going to claim and say, hey, God, I'm, I'm, I'm with this guy. I'm, I'm and try and, no, nah, I'm going to humble myself. All glory goes to God. If the battle is God, the glory goes to God. And so he led the people in worship. So he, he's, he's basically, he's, He's resolved to seek after God. He um he's fasted. He has um, continuing to to follow after God. And he's gathered the people in, and then he's led the people in worship. And they stood up and they praised the Lord God loudly. And, and the next day, after this time of worship, they set out for Dacora, which is the place where they were going. And it was about twenty kilometers south of Jerusalem. So when we saw that map earlier, that's about how far it was. Now again. 20 kilometres doesn't sound that far when you're driving, but they're walking. And but again, for them, it's probably easier for them walking than we than we walking because we don't walk that far very often. So, um, so they they got their army together and they walked out to, to to face this army, and um and 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 they started. But the good thing was it was downhill to get to where they were going. So it was for them it was a leisurely walk. They were they were walking towards a battle battle, and it was an easy walk for them to take. Um, and so, basically, along the way, they are encouraged and they're to to remember that um, God is God is going to come through for us. God is going to be the the one who faces his battle. And then, along the way, Jehoshaphat goes, "You know what? Because we know what God has promised. Because we know what God is 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 going to do, and 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 has already done for us in our past." Let's worship God along the way. So as they're marching, um, and so this is the thing, like sometimes for for men, like to join together and and sing, it it can feel a little bit, okay, this is a little bit unnatural. And so if you're inviting a a mate along to church, he's going to probably feel a little bit uncomfortable singing to God because he hasn't really been overcome by the picture of God and and, and who he is and, and all that kind of stuff. So here we are. Here is the army. So the Army is guys who've got arms like this and like they're, they're like they walk sideways through doors, and because they are trained for this, and he goes let's let's sing and and not like the so you imagine those armies and songs that they' doing, no, not that, let's sing worship songs. And so he appoints some of the Levites and some of the, the people that are going with them, let's worship God as we're walking along." And so this becomes a, a really important thing. So not only as um, Jehoshaphat said we're going to worship God because of his promise, we're going to worship God on the way to battle. Um, again, that seems a little bit unnatural to me in the sense of when I'm facing a challenge, what do I do on the way to face that challenge? I worry. I don't worship. I, 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 I go, if God doesn't come through, what's my idea? What's my backup plan? Is there a plan that I can actually do this without God and actually maneuver maneuver all the places, all the things in the place the way I want them? But Jehoshaphat says, "Well, no, this is God's battle. We will continue to worship Him." And so, what's important is that what's actually happening in the enemy campsite. So this is three nations that have come together, and so while the people are singing praise to God. God starts winning the battle for them. Now, this is how it happens. Uh, We pick this up in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And the moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Zia, who came to fight against Judah. And they were defeated. So somehow he he set up an ambush. Now, uh, this goes on in verse 23. The Ammonites and the Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Zia. So two of the tribes joined together and said, we don't like you anymore. We're going to fight you guys and destroy you. And it completely annihilated them. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. Love that word. They helped destroy each other. Like here is God going, okay, I'm going to set up an ambush. And I don't, I don't know how it happened, whether he made them look like the Israelites or whether he made them tease each other to the point they're going, let's just start a fight. But basically there was an enemy there. And the enemy destroyed itself. Why? Because the battle belonged to God. This is all while the people of Israel, from people of Judah are marching along singing their worship songs. And they're along singing Waymaker. Yep. Even what? yep, so we, we, we're going to say God is going to provide a way for us. Now bear in mind, Jehoshaphat and all the people don't know what's happening on the battlefield. They haven't even arrived yet. I can imagine that even though Jehoshaphat's being really bold, there are some who are marching that army who are nervous about going into battle. I, I've never been in a battle. I've never been in a situation like that. I've, I've played sports and that little bit of sort of excitement before a game is there. But I'm, when, every time i played a game of sport, I haven't been worried about losing my life. Um, don't play those kinds of games. Um, and they're marching along. And then we pick up in verse 24, which I don't think will be on the slide, but it says, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked for a large army, but there were only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. I can just imagine they're going, um, is this the army? Is this the guys? Or maybe the, the army that we're facing have actually fought these guys and, and they're hiding under a rock somewhere. Oh, they, they would have been a little bit on edge still. Because let me tell you something, that's not normal. It's not normal. When an enemy comes up against you, you expect to face the enemy in some form. But God said, it is my battle. And he went and fought it for them. And so they went through, they were they were blessed by all the, the loot that they were able to to take off the enemy army and and the place is actually called the Valley of Blessing. And so they went back to Jerusalem. But again, we see this principle that Jehoshaphat, he was worshiping God with the promise of God working, was working on the way while God was actually working. They were even unaware of it. But on return to Jerusalem in verse 28, they said, the Lord came into Jerusalem to the Lord's temple with harps, lyres and trumpets. Now, that's liars, the, the, the one, not, not liars in like that politician, like um, that kind of liar. But, but the thing is, they went, we're going to continue worshipping God. Like, God has done something amazing. Like, how many people did, how big did their army need to be? Like, it could have been half a soldier. Like, you could have sent a kid up and they still would have won. Why? Because the battle belonged to God. And so the people went up and, and they would have been nervous, walking downhill to this battle, praising God, and God just came through in an amazing way. And we, we see from this this story, we Jehoshaphat becomes aware of this problem. He seeks out God. He leads the people in fasting. He leads the people in prayer. He leads the people in worship. And God says, the battle is mine. The battle is mine. I invite you to come and watch. That's basically what God did. He said, you can come along for, you can pick up the good stuff at the end. You don't have to do a thing. And they continue to worship God. They bow down. They thank him. Their faith grows. But then we see it the, towards the end of this chapter in uh, verse 30. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for God had given him rest on every side. They enjoyed the peace that God gave them. So the question is, I have for you today, what army is coming your way? That army may be health. It may be provision. It may be worries that have grabbed a hold of your life. It could be worries for your kids. It could be worries that are in your family. It could be problems with work. It could be um, things that you don't even know is happening and you go, I just don't know about this. Well, Jehoshaphat, as, as Ezra is showing us some lessons that we can take with us from this passage. Again, remember, Ezra is writing to encourage the now people of Judah. This this was ancient history to them when they were receiving these lessons. And and Ezra is trying to show them this is the God. This is the God that fights your battles for you if you seek him out, if you fast, if you pray, if you worship, if you give yourself wholeheartedly to God, let God do the work. So the first lesson from Jehoshaphat's revival is God is available and attentive in your darkest moments. It's such an encouragement if we realize that that hey, when I'm going through something, it's not catching God by surprise. When we go and pray, hey God, just let me know I've got a problem. Really? Oh, I missed that one. I was so focused on everyone else other than you. No, that doesn't happen. I I, I wonder how many times that when we pray our prayers, because again, we can pray in a way where we kind of give God all the details. And God's waiting for us to get to the, to the point where he can answer us. But we're too busy telling him all the problem. And God goes, yeah, I'm fully aware. I'm, I'm fully aware. Like there's not a little bit of this that I haven't heard before. And it's like when your kids come up and tell you something, you know what they want, and, and they, but they just take a long time to get to the end of the story so you can actually help them with the problem they have. We are like those children. We, we, we wrap it on, and this is my prayer, God, and help me with this. I'm really worried about this. God, what, what should I do? What should I do? And God is just waiting for us to take a spiritual breath. So he goes, now that you've stopped, let me give you an answer. God is, is aware and attentive. He's available in our darkest moments. God is there. God is aware. Ezra is also showing us that prayer is more powerful than any enemy. Is prayer something that you go into easily, quickly? Or is it down the line of things when struggles hit your path? And again, when I say pray, is it like, oh, God, please help me? And then we go try and manage it ourselves. Or, well, okay, this is a problem. I'm going to stop. This is. A, I'm going to stop in my life. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop my car and pull over. And I'm going to really seriously seek God out. I'm, I'm going to give up lunch today so I can pray to God because this problem is overwhelming me. Maybe it's something that in your family, like you go, okay, we're going to we're going to give up. Maybe not food because the noises that will come from your kids will will cause more stress. But maybe you take some time as a family and go, well, we're going to give up the TV tonight. We're going to pray as a family. We're going to pray as a couple, just like Jehoshaphat did. He. he he led the people in fasting and praying and worshiping. Prayer is more powerful than the enemy. Three, God is able to turn whatever comes against you against itself. I, I love that part of the story. We, you see that in other stories, like um, for those who have read the book of Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. The people that throw them into the fire are destroyed. God does this again in this story where he's going, hey, there is an enemy that has come up against you, but they're going to destroy each other. He can turn trials into triumphs, failures into learning lessons, enemies into friends. God can take anything that is coming against you and use it for you because he is for you. You see, in the, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is an idea here that we need to grab onto, that whatever army we are facing in our lives at the moment, and it could be a small army, small armies hurt, small, small challenges hurt us, it could be a massive one, which it's not just three armies. It's this thing and this thing and this thing. Like It's like that perfect storm where everything bad is lined up all together. And we're going, wow, like what do I do here? We, we act like Jehoshaphat and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. I, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to get through this, but i look to you. And all of a sudden God is able to turn whatever comes against us, against itself. Today, I want to challenge you that if you're not facing an army right now, it will come. It will come. To to resolve today that when this comes my way, I am going to seek out God. I'm going to take time to focus on him, to bring that problem to him and place it in his hands. I'm going to make that choice. If you are in the middle of a battle, real quick, say, God, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. I don't know how to get through this, but, God, you will. And actually make that choice to trust him at this time and worship God until he does and then continue worshiping him. Now, again, I'm not – Again, We talk about worship and singing, but I'm thinking we need to worship in life, which goes way beyond singing. Like it may be declaring the praises of God as in our families. It might be declaring the praises of God in our workplace saying, hey, do you know what? I'm going through a struggle, but God is good. And if you were the Fijian church, you would say all the time. I was thinking about that phrase this week because it's God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And they, they repeat that over and over. The thing is, it's such a simple statement, but it is so 100% true. There is not a moment that God is not good, and there is all the time God is good, like he wants good things for us. And I'm going, so our worship of our lifestyle, all of a sudden the choices that I make to be obedient to God, the, 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 the intent that I have in my heart becomes inclined to say, God, what, what would you have me do? I want to worship you with my life. And so that was what happens when we face these armies. Like we trust God until he comes through. We worship him before, during, and after. And we let God get all the glory for overcoming. And so I don't know whether you're at a before. You might be at a during. You might have just gone through something and you're declaring the victory of God. That's great. No matter where you are, God has not changed. And God is going to bring you to the end of this. And God will, will declare victory in your life. Worship him with your life until he does and then continue to worship him. Let's take some time to pray. Well, we, we think of this this story from 2 Chronicles and we think of Jehoshaphat who was surrounded by an enemy that was larger than him and he had no, nowhere else to call but, but you. And so, Lord, for any here today who are facing an army, who are facing a battle that is beyond them, I pray that you would come to the place where that you just show up in their life right now, that you would declare your promises over them, that we would celebrate you because of the promises you have made and to continue worshipping you. As you face our battles for us, Lord, many of us here today would be at, have been at the point, maybe at the point right now where we go, Lord, I do not know what to do, but we look to you. And I pray that we would do that quickly. We would do that wholeheartedly. And we would let you come through and show us the God that you are. I pray through times like this that you would increase our faith abundantly, that we would see you at work and go, wow, what an amazing God that loves me and that I serve and follow. And I pray that as we follow you, that we are granted the peace that Jehoshaphat received in his life where they had peace on all sides. I pray that we, because we trust you, because we know you are the God that you are, that we can be at peace even the midst of the armies ahead of us, knowing that you go before us and fight our battles for us. And so, Lord, let us go into this week just knowing that you are good all the time and all the time you are good. And let our faith grow. Let us declare your truth and let us worship you with our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.